Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. It is Super Bowl Sunday weekend coming up. We got college basketball to break down. It was another brutal loss to TCU for Oklahoma State. We'll talk about that and we'll hit on signing day as well, which it's not much of a signing day anymore. It used to be, but with the early signing period, it's pretty much a moot point. But uh, Colby, how you doing? You getting geared up for uh, Super Bowl and the Samoshi basketball this weekend? Uh, yes, I'm very geared up for the Super Bowl. And I'm actually really excited for OSU Texas tomorrow. I know a lot of people are down after Wednesday night's game. We'll get into that. But uh, I think Oklahoma State will, will bounce back. So I'm looking forward to tomorrow afternoon. Yep, me too. It's a ABC game. It's on my channel. It's on KSU yeah. 5. Tune in. Uh, it's a big time game, obviously. Uh, do we know Texas. if we have Fran? Do, do we know if it's Fran on the call? I think he's more – I know ESPN and ABC are affiliated, but yeah. I think he usually just does the ESPN games. I'm not That's sure. That's a bummer. We need more Fran. I actually might be able to find that out as we're as we're doing all this. But Okay. Um, Let me know if you're, if you're able to find out because I love me some Fran on the call. Well, and if you watched any of the Oklahoma-Alabama game, we were subjected to Dan Dockich, oh. which – that was my first full game with Dan Dockich, and cool. uh, that was that was plenty. That's all I needed. So I, we're we're so lucky to have Fran here in Big Twelve country. He does a great job as always. So uh, before we get to everything else, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Uh, well, I think I have that on my notes here. Who's calling the game? I'll look at that later. But uh, Chris University Spirit, your one-stop shop on Campus Corner. Go to chrisuniversityspirit.com and get all your cowboy gear. Your your back to school gear whenever that occurs. You know, load up on that early and uh, just go to Christie University Spirit on Campus Corner. And I know there's gonna be a lot of people in Stillwater on Saturday. I say a lot, not as many as before COVID, but I, I would think Colby, the the crowds would be pretty decent. What was it like for you when you went to uh, the game against Kansas? Was that was campus a little buzzing? Or what, what was it like being being there? Yeah, I didn't really feel any buzz because you know a lot of times you'll get up there early and go out to eat and do something with the family and everything and. It wasn't that. We just went up and drove through. I don't even remember what we got. And then we went into the stadium. Inside, there was definitely a buzz for Kansas to be in town. I think it'll be the same tomorrow with Texas in town. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, Texas is number six in the country. Let me look. Yeah, Texas is number six in the country. That's actually the same ranking that Kansas had when they came into Stillwater Mm. and got beat. Um, So it's – look, it's not 13,000 strong, but it's as good of an atmosphere as you're possibly going to get with 3,200 people or whatever it is. I do need to issue a correction. I, f- I forgot to do this weeks ago, but we were talking about Gallagher Ibis capacity and old Gallagher Hall, like when they originally built it, it was like eight or 9,000. But like the Gallagher Iba that I went to was like 6,000 because yeah, they had, they had to build seats and like, stuff like that. Yeah, it was like so, 62, 83 or something like that. Yeah. So I, I wish, obviously, with COVID, you got a distance, but it'd be nice, like, if they could just put everyone in the lower bowl and be like old Gallagher again, I would like to see them do that anyway, like with certain games, like almost like in high school football, like second half, like you don't have to pay it, get a ticket or anything, you know, you just walk in. I feel like second half of Oklahoma state game, you should be able to move down as far as you want to, to open seats. Like if they're not in their seat, I guess you gotta wait till halftime's over. People come back to their seats, but you know what I mean? I'd love to see them pack it down low to get it even louder. Yeah, I agree. Maybe so. at the 15 minute mark of the second half. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That'd be great. Yeah. Cause you, you then, get the old feeling back. 
Yeah, because then if you're going to the concession stand or you're running across the street to your dorm or something, you better be back in your seat by the 15 minute mark. Yeah, your seat no more. you know, people are coming for those primo seats. So you better get back to your seat for sure. Uh, we do have Frischilla on Saturday. It's John, John Boog, Shiambi and Fran Frischilla. Great team. I like both those guys. Yep. So we don't have to worry about Dan Dockich invading Big 12 <laughs> country again. So good, good, good. Uh, Colby, I guess we got to start with the TCU game. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma State, once again, just like they did in the first meeting against TCU, just really gave away a, a win. I mean, they had this game completely in their hands, completely wrapped up. And I think their two worst losses of the entire season come to the same team. I think the TCU loss in Stillwater and the one in Fort Worth were by far their two worst losses of the year. Yeah, I think so, too. And to me, the biggest play of the game was with a minute and change left on the clock. Cade had just hit the step back three on the left wing. He had shushed the crowd, the student section that was chanting overrated at him all night. Oklahoma State went up by three. So the TCU misses on the other end. Oklahoma State, the ball gets tipped around, fight for the rebound. Bryce Williams comes up with it, takes about two steps. Looks like he tripped over his own teammate. I can't remember who it was, but it looked like he tripped over his own teammate. And then the ball goes right to the only TCU defender who was back in transition. He kicks it up the floor to Miles, who hits a three to tie the game. If if there wasn't such a fight for the rebound and Bryce ends up getting tripped and loses the ball, Oklahoma State would have had like a three-on-one fast break going the other way, likely goes up by five, and then and then wins the game. I thought that was the biggest play of the game, but I thought there were a lot of just kind of weird, fluky plays like that in the second half that all went TCU's way. You know, the, the play where Cade uh, midway through the second half got maybe even early in the second half got the rebound on, on his backside by about the free throw line on TCU side and he goes to flip it up to ice. It's a little too high. goes off his hands right to miles. He lays it in. There were two other times in the second half where there was like a fight for the rebound at the free throw line on TCU's end. And it got tipped up in the air and it landed in the hands of a TCU guy right underneath the basket. You consider those, you consider the play where Bryce gets tripped and TCU gets a three out of it. And it just feel like, felt like all of the, and I don't even know that it was a hustle issue in the second half. Sometimes the ball just, you know, gets tipped a certain way. And it felt like every single one of those loose ones got tipped TCU's way. Yeah, I'm totally with you on the on the Bryce play. Like, not only does that that happen, but they just they drill the three and they made they made two threes in the last I think three minutes of the game. They they hit one to tie it at 72, and then they hit one to tie it at 75. It's just one of those doesn't go in. OSU probably wins. But as you're sitting at home watching, this is like. You know, we talk about being OSU football fans and like how miserable that can be sometimes and how it just seems like everything goes against you with replays and, you know, roughing the punters and stuff like that. I feel like this has been OSU basketball for like the last decade where the team against you absolutely has to have a three pointer and they hit it. It just maybe that's just the way it feels because OSU hasn't been as good over the past decade. But I was sitting at home watching this game. Like, Of course, they made both of those threes. Of course they did. So th those were obviously key plays, Colby, but obviously the biggest play of the entire game is when Cade Cunningham gets the ball. There's about 11, 12, 14 seconds left. And instead of Mike Boynton calling timeout, he lets it ride. And it's an open court. And it's basically just Cade one-on-one -on -one with, I think two TCU guys were back, but it was basically a one-on-one -on -one scenario. And they tried to collapse on him late to make it a two or three guy on Cade scenario. But I think... This is a huge topic of debate. Obviously, when it does, didn't work, 
everyone was like, well, Mike Boynton should have called a timeout. And obviously, Cade probably should have waited until the time ran out. Like you wait, you wait till the last shot. We all understand that. Anyone who's played basketball or watched basketball for any amount of time knows that. I, on this case, Colby, I can see why it happened. I like the decision from Mike Boynton to let it ride and not call timeout because he calls timeout. He had to put Cade as the inbounds passer earlier in the game because he's their best passer. That's one That's one issue. Second issue, TCU gets to, to set up and throw another double team at him like they did in the first meeting. Wasn't that the first meeting, Colby, when they threw the double team at him? He didn't get off a good shot at all. Yep. Yeah, so that's the scenario as well that you're, you're facing if you call timeout. Obviously, Cade saw – I think if you go back and watch it, I can see what Cade saw. He saw a direct lane to the bucket one-on-one. He's like, I can get past this guy and lay it in. And all we got to do is D up and we're good. But it just, it was a total calamity because he went maybe a little too soon, was a little too out of control, barely, I don't even know if he hit rim, it went right off the backboard. And then to compound all of that, OSU like starts doing this like press, like the three guys behind K like press up the court and try to press the ball and press the three guys that are in TCU's own half for the court leaving like a three-on-two scenario on the other end, or an easy layup, which you can debate about the charge or block call, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But I don't know. I Can't, can't you, Colby? I, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but I can understand why it played out the way it did. Obviously, Cade should have played for the last shot, but you can argue if he does that, then those three guys from TCU just collapse around him and they call timeout anyway. So I, I, I'm not going to hear – I'm not going to sit here and kill Mike Boynton for not calling timeout. I'll be real honest with you, Carson. I thought that you and I were going to get into a little bit of an argument this morning because I thought that maybe you'd be on the other side of it. I haven't seen your tweets or anything. I don't know if you were tweeting about it Wednesday night, but my whole thing is I can't come on here and rip Boynton because I would feel like a hypocrite because in the moment, Wednesday night, TCU misses. Cade already has the ball. TCU is clearly a little discombobulated at this point. My first thought was let him go. Let him go. Now, I didn't want him to go with eight seconds left. I wanted him to hold for the last shot. And I actually think the, the ball came off his hand with like 10 seconds left. So I wanted him to hold for the last shot. But I think in that moment, if, if let's say Cade's out with COVID still, like he was a few weeks ago, let's say Cade's not on the floor for this game. I think Mike Boynton probably calls a timeout there. I, I think there's, there's a difference between calling a timeout with just your normal crew of college basketball players and try to put in some play where you run motion and do something like that. I think there's a big difference in that situation and in trusting the number one overall pick in the NBA draft to, to go win you the game. And I think that that's what Mike Boynton was doing. And I think that Cade Cunningham learned a valuable lesson on Wednesday night. Now, it, it cost Oklahoma State a game. And, and it cost Oklahoma State a game that they absolutely should have won against a bottom dweller in the Big 12. And don't get me wrong, that's not how you want to learn lessons. You, you like to learn lessons in wins, not in losses to TCU. But the lesson there for Cade Cunningham is, you know, Let's say you put up a bad shot as time expires and it misses. You go to overtime. You, you don't lose that game in regulation. Also, you're going to overtime against a team that you're absolutely better than. Oklahoma State would have had the advantage in overtime because they're the better team. So I, I think that the lesson there was for Cade. I, I really couldn't hold it against Mike Boynton, Carson, because my first thought was let him go and trust him to make the right decision. He, he just didn't in that moment. Yeah, it's to me it's a total hindsight thing where – if it, it's kind of like the, an onside kick, if it, if it works by not calling timeout, he goes in and waits for the last shot and hits it at the buzzer and they win. 
oh, what a brilliant move by Mike Boyne. The defense couldn't set up. The ball was already in Cade Cunningham's hands. Brilliant. But he misses a layup, and they go down on the other end. It's a total calamity, and TCU wins. Oh, Mike Boyne's an idiot. He should have called timeout. That's that's the way I kind of view this. And I always go back to an Oklahoma City Thunder game where it really influences my opinion on calling timeout in certain instances. Scott Brooks did the same thing. I think Russell Westbrook came down with a rebound and the defense was totally discombobulated. And he just said, you know what? It's in my best player. It's in my ball handler's hands. I'm going to let Russ create. And he goes down and, and either scored or passed it to Kevin and he scored. And, and that, that always kind of stayed with me in terms of in an open court situation like that, you're so much better off because we've all seen Scott Brooks try to draw out of timeout plays as well. You know, it's, it's, it's so much harder to get a bucket when a defense is set and they can throw guys at the guy that's likely getting the ball in a Cade Cunningham or a Kevin Durant. It's just, it's so much harder in a half court scenario. It just is. So I always, I always lean that way. And, I, and again, I'm not trying to be a, a Mike Boynton apologist. I think it's inexcusable that they lost to TCU uh, twice. That's just, man, you're going to really rue that come tournament time when your seed's not as good. And you're going to rue it when Cade Cunningham's not on the team anymore. Because he really, Colby, I thought it was funny. You know, he goes scoreless in the first half. And I think a lot of people that weren't watching were like, what is happening in TCU at Fort Worth? Like, how's Kid Cunningham zero points? Well, he got in early, early foul trouble. And then the TCU fans that were in attendance, the students most likely, start chanting overrated every time Cade Cunningham had the ball. And let me just say this. The overrated chant is the dumbest chant in all of sports because it usually breaks out after you have an upset win. So basically what you're saying is your win wasn't as good as you it probably <laughs> should be. Does team one any good? They're overrated. Well, okay, that, that's why that chant's dumb in general. Now you're going to chant it at the consensus number one overall pick in the NBA draft. It still is the case. I've looked at a lot of the mock drafts. He, he, he is still the consensus number one pick in the NBA draft. Not a good idea because Kate went off in the second half. What do you have, like 19, 20 points all in the 19. second half? And so uh, big mistake there from uh, from the TCU fans. Yeah, I thought so too. I also thought that that was another lesson Cade learned Wednesday night. I thought he let it get under his skin. I, I thought it was the first time all year that Cade has really looked like something bothered him. Now, it, it kind of it is a double-edged sword. I think it got under his skin and fueled him to go off a little bit offensively but I think it got under his skin and maybe it had something to do with the fact that he really wanted to go at the end of the game because he wanted to get to the basket. He wanted to hit the game winner and he wanted to look up at the student section and, and holler overrated at him and just let him know that he's not the guy to, to talk to that way. I, I don't know. I thought it got to him a little bit. Um, Carson, but before we move on, I, I do want to talk about the officiating because there were a lot of little hand checks in uh. this game that were called. And the two biggest calls of the game both happened in the last 45 seconds. One of them is when Cade was on the, the left block and he dribbles into the paint. And I thought that Nimhard raked him across the left arm. I thought he clearly hit him on the left elbow when Cade went up. The ball pops loose. TCU gets it. And I thought as closely as that game had been called all second half, I thought it was kind of odd that they didn't call that one. And then the play at the end of the game, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a big call with two seconds left. I, I get that you're – you're kind of bailing out the defense because a guy got set for a charge, but Avery Anderson was set for that charge. I, most block charge calls, I think, are almost impossible to tell live. 
I thought it was a bad call live. I thought it was a worse call on replay. So I, I don't know what you thought about those two calls. I thought his feet were still slightly moving. Did which, you? Okay. Which again, the only replay I got was kind of the, you know, the, the, the game camera angle, not the, like the, you know, they show that on the baseline where you can see his heels and feet. Yeah. That, that would have been a much better view. I don't think I ever saw a replay of that, but in the moment, I thought he was moving and just ever so slightly. I didn't think he was quite set. And I, I do think that, um, you know, they shouldn't have been in that position. But I, I will say this, Colby, I think to, on your point about college officiating, specifically Big 12 officiating, I really do think if that game's in Stillwater, they call charge. <laughs> I just think those, these officials just get so carried away with it in the moment. and They love doing the, the big point down the other way, getting a crowd reaction. I, I just think the Big 12 refs are, are so susceptible to that, which is not how it should be. I do think they would have called charge if it was in Stillwater, but they shouldn't have been in that position. And, and you're right, too. The, the fishing was so bad. The, the foul that put Cade on the bench for the rest of the first half was an offensive foul where he is just – simply dribbling and the guy like he, he kind of you know when you're trying to get get your situated on the block we all know there's going to be contact you, you bump into the guy right well the guy just kind of flops and Cade kind of rolls his eyes and turns around and has to go sit on the bench it was just he can't pick those up but like at that that one I, I don't know how you even avoid that he's playing basketball like so it's it was really well, frustrating watching the game that one, and then Caleb Boone got in early foul trouble, too, and had to go. And we, we've really seen it looked like Caleb Boone turned a corner and, you know, kind of went back around that corner the other direction on Wednesday. 12 minutes, one point, did not have a field goal, one of two from the line, only three rebounds. I, I thought that it was just a killer for Oklahoma State that he couldn't be out on the floor because TCU had 11 offensive rebounds. Oklahoma State only had five offensive rebounds. The offensive rebounds in the second half were a big problem. So I thought the early foul trouble for Caleb, and then it just kind of took him out of his rhythm. You know, it's not like he had to sit in the second half because of foul trouble. He had to sit in the second half because he, he wasn't playing well. I think he just he, – he, he does these things, and we've seen it this season. He loses his confidence, and then he gets it, and he played out of this world. And it seemed like he lost his confidence again on Wednesday. So that's something to watch closely tomorrow – and Carson, I'll, I'll just ask you this question. What's happened to Isaac Likely's offensive game? Uh, it's a great question. For a starting point guard to have three shot attempts in a full game that he played, I guess he played 28 minutes. Uh, I don't know. And like, he's such a good driver of the basketball too. Like we talk all the time how this team's not a great three-point shooting team, but they only took 15 against TCU, but you would think likely driving to the hoops, one of their best weapons. So I think that's on my Boynton to get call more actions for that. So I, I think that's an issue. Um, I, I like, haven't scored a double figure since the Kansas game, Carson. Right. And I'm not sitting here saying he's Russell Westbrook offensively, um, but there were times last year where he would go off. You really remember that West Virginia game where he had that huge dunk. Yeah, and he he had these hot streaks where he would score you know twenty points in a game. So now that, that's that's an issue. I, I loved your point about about uh, Boone, Caleb Boone. He was on a tear. He, he had made sixteen of twenty two shots over the previous two games and was averaging seventeen and nine. Like that that puts this team in a different category. That puts this team in a different stratosphere. And they reverted back to those games early in the season where he was ineffective, not on the floor scoring you know like you said very few points and they just got exploited inside and that's going to happen moving forward if, if he can't stay on the court so you asked me where where's likely's offense and i don't know it's a great question he uh, uh from the marquette game through the kansas game he only failed to get to double figures twice 
that was against Texas and then against ORU, the only two times in that six-week stretch he didn't get to double figures. And now he's gone four games in a row without getting there. So I, it's it's a little concerning to me because ice going to the basket, I think, is a, a really key piece of this offense, and that's just kind of disappeared. I have a question for you. Okay. Where's Keelan Boone? He played. Oh, man. He played one minute against Arkansas and didn't play at all against TCU. Maybe I didn't see anything with COVID related. Maybe that I, was it. I think he's just falling out of the rotation. I, yeah, I, I mean, mean I don't... he's not playing. Yeah, I think he's just falling out of the rotation. You you look at the uh, the stats for Oklahoma State, and if you pull it up, you, you know, he's supposed to be more of the outside shooter. You know, Caleb inside, Keelan outside. Let's go look at Keelan Boone's stats. 4.2 points per game whenever he plays, but his three-point percentage on the year, Carson, is 20.5%, 34.8% from the field when he's out there, and he's only a 54% free throw shooter. Now, this isn't large sample size because he hasn't played a ton, but – I think that maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a confidence issue. Uh, maybe he just hasn't quite put it together at this point yet. But I, I really think he's just fallen out of the rotation. Yeah, I think you're right. One guy who's back in the rotation is Farron Flavors. He, uh, he, he actually looked pretty good, Colby. We've been waiting for Flavors to do anything this year. Obviously, he's been, he's been hurt. But uh, he played eight minutes, hit two, two out of three three-pointers. And um, that, that last one he hit, Colby, I thought he bombed it in. That was, uh, that was impressive. So maybe Flavors can give them some outside shooting because they did go eight of 15 uh, from the three-point line at 53%. That's one of their best percentages of the entire year. Yeah, that second one that in there in the second half, that was like a 26-footer. And that, mm -hmm. that was at a big time in the game, too. I think maybe it was tied then or Oklahoma State was down by three or something. It was a big shot at the time that he made it. So, you know, if, if he can – come in and, and kind of find his shot a little bit. Bryce and Kay can keep shooting it the way they can. Uh, Rondell and Avery have both picked it up from beyond the arc. I think this team's a better three-point shooting team than they were six weeks ago. They just still have to clean up some of the little mistakes that we saw in the second half. Let's get to buckets and bricks where we hand out positive and negative uh, plays for the games. Uh, I'll start. My bucket, obviously, Cade Cunningham deserves all the the accolades, the all, all the plaudits, he deserves uh, a bucket. But I want to go with Bryce Williams, Colby, because this guy's just played great all year. I mean, he plays 26 minutes, 11 points, six assists, two rebounds, uh, steal. And he had – the reason that he's stuck, stuck in my mind is I didn't really realize coming into this year how athletic he was. Like that dunk that he had was so smooth and – he did kind of the LeBron where you cock it out to your right and kind of throw it in one handed. And uh, he's just been a revelation for OSU. It'd be, it's scary to think where OSU would be without Bryce Williams because he's lifted them up in key moments and key games. And I thought he lifted them up a little bit against TCU as well. Yeah, he did. He had six assists in that game the other night. I posed this question on Twitter um, during one of the games where he had a, a massive, massive volleyball spike of a block, which he seems like he has one or two every game. Does he have the best vertical in Stillwater since Markel Brown? It's up there, man, because he was just floating on that dunk. It's whew, it's it's definitely up there for sure. Yeah, it, I still don't think did he do the uh, did he do the the dunk to himself to end the game against uh, against Kansas? Kansas was that him? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, was, that was that was like a windmill in that game too. That was a dunk contest level dunk in in the game. <laughs> yeah, it was. Bryce is impressive. I still I'll always be biased toward Markel when it comes to guys who could leap. Just that's when I was on campus. You know, I'd, I'd watch – I watched Markel play flag football a few times, and he just 
it, it was just different watching him jump. It's different watching Bryce Williams jump too. Uh, my bucket, Carson, is going to Rondell Walker for the game that he had the other night. I, I thought that there were several times in that second half where, you know, TCU, they had they had stretched the lead out to 10, and Oklahoma State was having to battle back. And a big part of them getting back into it was Kay driving and kicking to Rondell. And what have we been saying all year? You know, you need somebody out there knocking these shots down consistently, reliably. And Rondell Walker did that on Wednesday night. Three of four from beyond the arc. He was five of six from the free throw line, had 16 points. So Rondell Walker gets my bucket. He's been awesome. He's been a key key player for them. And it's going to be fun to watch his career progress at OSU for sure. My brick is um, – it's got to go to Mike Boynton. I think the two losses to TCU defied logic, defied the odds. Uh, their, their loss this week, they had a 71.5% win expectancy with a minute to go, 71.5%. In the previous meeting – with two minutes and 23 seconds left, they had a 92.4% win probability. So those are two losses that were almost hard to lose. They were almost more difficult to lose than win. So that, and again, that there were reasons for that, but I think we all know this is a results-based business and that ultimately falls on the head coach. So I got to go Mike on that one. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to give out a brick that might be a little unfair because he did score 19 points in the second half. But on, on the play of the game, Cade Cunningham decided not to hold for the last shot of the game in a tie game. So you guarantee yourself at worst overtime. And not only that, Carson, the segment is buckets and bricks. He went to the basket and he threw up a layup that never touched rim. It hit the backboard and it came sailing off into the middle of the lane. It was the definition of a brick. So Cade, he, look, he gets held to a higher standard because he is Cade Cunningham and he is the guy and he is so great. So his standard is higher than everyone else's. But, you know, I think he learned a valuable lesson in that game on Wednesday night. If you're tied and the ball's in your hands with 10 seconds left, it doesn't need to leave your hands until there's two seconds left. So I think he learned that lesson Wednesday night. Tough lesson to learn, but he, he's got to get my brick for that last play where he uh, got a little out of control with 10 seconds left. Yep, I'm with you there. So that's Buckets and Bricks brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner at 244 South Knobloch and Stilly. Uh, all day, every day, they offer free standard shipping on orders over 50 bucks. Uh, you can, so you can go online at chrisuniversityspirit.com and get your OSU spirit wear needs. You, you can always use an OSU hat, accessories, gifts, you name it. Chris's has it. Uh, I want to talk about Super Bowl, Colby. We have to mention, though, signing day was this week, uh, quote-unquote signing day. The real signing day, I think, is now the, the early one. And But OSU ends up with, uh, according to 247 Sports, the 39th best class in the country. So uh, what were your thoughts on uh, OSU finishing with their recruiting year? Balling, 39th. <laughs> Looky there. One spot behind Louisville, one spot ahead of West Virginia. Watch out, Morgantown. We're coming for you. I, I don't know. At this point, we're just kind of beating a dead horse, aren't we? Yeah. Story every year. Every year, it's Oklahoma State, you know, from a rankings perspective, underachieves in recruiting. And then all the Oklahoma State people tell us, well, it's not about the numbers. They're going to develop this talent. It, they're they're going to be better than their recruiting rankings. And they have been better than their recruiting rankings. It's I don't know. It's It, it literally is just a never-ending cycle of underperforming recruiting, overperform on the field, under it's just it's a never-ending cycle so I it's hard for me at this point to to get too too upset too excited too anything I'm sure that there's some individual guys in this class who are going to end up being good players it's just 
I still don't understand why the program is as good as it is, but you don't out-recruit Minnesota and you don't out-recruit Boston College and you don't out-recruit North Carolina State or, or Virginia. You know, these are all teams, you know, Pittsburgh, Cal, Mississippi State. These are all teams that Oklahoma State can't out-recruit in football. And Oklahoma State's got a better program than all those teams. So I, I don't know what the reasoning for that is, but it's just – we're back to the early February stage of the never-ending cycle. I agree with everything you said. OSU should be in the top 25. That's not asking a whole lot. I mean, I just – to me, it's getting worse. They were in the, the upper 20s, maybe low 30s. Now they're creeping up towards the 40s. Uh, it's, the recruiting's getting worse. And uh, that's just not going to change until they get a new head coach. Which, speaking of, Colby, I'm ready to make a bold, bold, bold prediction – Oh, I'm ready. It's February 5th, 2021. We will write this down. I am predicting the next head coach of Oklahoma State football. Do you want to know who that is? Whoa, this is – I don't know if I'm ready or not. I wasn't prepared for this. Okay. It's just it a prediction. It's not based on any inside knowledge or sources or reporting or anything. It's just, right. a, just a hunch. I'm leaned back in my chair. I'm ready. Hit me with it. Well, this guy was on staff at OSU about a year ago, about a year and a half, two years ago. Oh, now I know what you're going to say. And he's now he's been he's been a top 25 recruiter in the country for years. He was at LSU. He just signed like the best offensive line class Texas A&M's ever had. His name's Josh Henson. And to me, with his recruiting prowess and the resume he's building as an O-line coach, he reminds me a lot of Mario Cristobal, who's now the head coach at Oregon. He was an elite elite offensive line coach at Miami and then Alabama and was known as one of the best recruiters in the entire country. And now he's got Oregon as like the third best class in the country, according to 247 and rivals and all that. So I just think Josh is an OSU guy. He's very familiar with Mike Holder and that campus. For some reason, it didn't work out with Mike. I don't know what happened there, but he wasn't there very long, and I thought he was doing a good job. But whenever Mike moves on, I think Holder's going to look for, one, a recruiter, to an OSU guy, which he checks both of those boxes. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I've been kind of searching for the fat past few years who, my, who Mike Holder would call. You know, it was Larry Fedora for years. But now I think uh, I guess number one guy will be Josh Henson. He's doing a great job down there at AM. I like that prediction. That's a good one. He's, he's a young guy, young and hungry, uh, and a recruiter, which, like we talked about, is what Oklahoma State needs. By the way, I went back and looked at the rankings just from 2015 to now. Oklahoma State has not finished better than 34th in the team rankings since 2015. So. Yeah, just not good enough. And, and I think Josh Henson has some attitude. Like, I think he would he would treat Bedlam completely differently. I just think he would. So that's my prediction on February 5th, 2021. We'll have to wait and see if that comes to fruition. All right. It is Super Bowl weekend, Colby. You're my gambling expert, my gambling aficionado. Let's talk about the game. Give, give me your picks, and let's do some prop bets. Uh, I guess I'll go first. I I've been kind of texting with you back and forth, and I just don't see any way that Tampa keeps this game close. I'm frankly surprised that everywhere I look, on TV, on the radio, everyone's picking like an all-time great game or picking Tampa to win. And, I mean, they're going to pick – everyone's picking Kansas City to win by like the point spread or they're picking Tampa to win or a, a close game. I like – Kansas City to win by double digits. I just think they're kind of inevitable offensively. It doesn't really matter what happens to start the game. They're going to figure you out, and they're going to they're going to. I think 
Tom Brady's also susceptible to throw a couple picks to Tyron Matthew. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm the only one I've heard picking Kansas City in a blowout. I might pick them more than 10 or 14. I don't know that I'm going to pick them by that amount. I do think that some of the losses up front for Kansas City, they're going to be depleted on the offensive line, and, and Tampa Bay's pretty good on the defensive side up front. I think that could be a problem for Kansas City. But you and I were texting about it the other day. You, you know, if the pocket's not great for Patrick Mahomes, he's just going to backpedal for four seconds he's going to backpedal 15 yards and then he's going to throw an absolute missile 35 yards down the field <laughs> so that's not as big of a concern as it would be if you had a, an, an immobile quarterback or a quarterback that didn't have a very good arm couldn't deal with the pressure very well I, I do think Kansas City's going to win this game I'm looking at it right now uh, Kansas City's a three-point favorite but it's a little juiced on that side so if it does move it would move to three and a half um, I, I hedged my preseason Chiefs Super Bowl bet with the Bucks plus three and a half whenever I saw it at that number last week. So in an ideal world, Kansas City will win by one, two, or three, and I'll hit both bets. So I'm going to pick it about 35 to 31 Kansas City, I think, is my pick. Okay. Well, the consensus is with, with that from everyone I've seen. They, I think they, they're getting, hitting the middle for you in terms of all the other people picking the games. But uh, I don't know. I, I'd prefer a, a good game just to watch because I don't have any – I don't really have any preference on who wins. I mean, I am a Tom Brady guy. Just seeing Tampa Bay win the Super Bowl would be kind of weird. I don't, I'm not a big Tampa Bay Bucks person, but uh, how about your favorite props, Colby? I've got a few that I like. Have you, have you done any prop wagering uh, studying? I have not done any props yet. Go ahead and give me a couple okay. of your favorites. Well, to, to what point we just discussed, I think, I think Kansas City wins big. And so I'm looking at the props. You know, you can bet by how much a team can win the exact winning margin, including overtime, you can go chiefs win by 13 to 18. That's plus 650. chiefs win by 19 to 24. That's plus 1200, 25 to 30. And it goes on and up. And you can also bet chiefs. Here's, here's one I like too. chiefs to win by seven to 12 points. That's, that's more reasonable. That's plus 410. So if you think the chiefs are going to win, you think they're going by more than a field goal. That gives you plus 410 odds. So, But the one I like the most out of these is uh, Chiefs to win by 13 to 18 points. That's plus 650. I love that one. I just think that you're wagering. You're going against the grain. I think a lot of people expect a close game, and that, that's one I really, really like. Man, that's a lot of points. That's a lot of points. for them Well, that hurts your heart wanting the middle there. <laughs> yes. No, I want the middle. I don't, I don't want the big win. I want to be in it until the end. How about this? I kind of like the cross-sport props. Not to actually play, but they're fun to, to look at and to watch. Uh -huh. What will be higher, the number of accepted penalties in the Super Bowl or the number the number of total corner kicks in Liverpool and Manchester City? Say the first one again. What was the football one? Uh, number of accepted penalties in the Super Bowl or corner ah. kicks in Liverpool, Man City. Oh, I oh, love penalties. by the way, even odds. I love penalties. I mean, uh, there'll be some corner kicks, but I don't think it'll get to double digits. I don't know. They they tend to let them play a little bit more in these big games. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think I like the corner kick. Okay. How about this one? I really like this one. What will be higher? Total touchdowns in the Super Bowl is a heavy favorite over total first-round birdies by Tiger in the Masters. <laughs> uh, total touchdowns is a heavy favorite, minus 550. Tiger, yeah. Yeah, I think if there's – seven total touchdowns you think yeah, I mean, seven 30s in the first round yeah i mean everyone's predicting a high scoring game so that that's why the odds are are so heavy on that 
I've got a couple here. I, I like the, I've always loved the safety prop. You know, it's plus 800 that there's a safety at any point in the game. I love that one. It happened a few years ago with Tom Brady and uh, the Giants, I believe. May have happened since then. That's the one I remembered most. And this is one that's sneaky, sneaky good. And I want to talk about the over-unders a little bit for certain players, but I love this one. Player to have the most rushing yards in the game. Miko Hardman's plus 3,300, which, again, he gets like one or two end rounds a game at most. So you need him to break one like he did last in the AFC title game where he ran it for like 50, 60 yards. And then I don't think either team's going to run it a whole lot, Colby. So that that could be a way if he has like a 75 yard run on an end around that might that might pop for you. And at plus 3,300, I think that's worth a shot. Yeah, that's not a bad one. Again, it depends if either team like if the Bucks commit to running it with Leonard Fournette, then obviously that would screw it up. But if, if neither team runs the ball a lot, I don't think that you'll have a ton of ton of difficulty there. Uh, let's see. Here's another one for, for our golf fans. Chris Godwin receiving yards or the average first-round score of the 2021 U.S. Masters? So the average first-round score will probably be somewhere <laughs> around 71. So do you think Chris Godwin is going to have over or under the first-round score of the Masters? Uh, I'll go over. I like, I like all the overs on the Tampa receivers because I just don't think – again, I think I would go the over on a, a lot of the receiver props. So. Yeah, Godwin's a baller, an absolute baller. Um, let's see here. I love this one too. Uh, let's see here. Cameron Brait to score a touchdown. Uh, first or last is plus 2,200. Oh. It's, it's plus 260 anytime touchdown. I think Cameron Brait's going to score a touchdown. He's basically their their third receiver at this point, especially down near the end zone. So I like, I like Cameron Brait props as well. Uh, but I, I do like – I do like the over on a lot of the Daryl Williams props. I'll have to find them here. But I do think that they're going to ride him. I think uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is, is going to be full speed for this game. But I think what you've seen is Andy Reid trusts Darrell Williams or Daryl Williams. I'm, go I'm going back to OSU calling him Darrell. Uh, let's see here. Total rush attempts under eight and a half is minus 112. I like the I like the over there. Uh, total rushing yards under 36 and a half. I might like the over there as well. I think he had 60 something in the AFC title game. I just think yeah, I think that's a good number. I think Kansas City's going to win and I just think that by the end of it he's going to get over 36 and a half. Yeah, I think that that's a really good number. 36 and a half. I, yeah. I'd be surprised if he ended up under that. Well, and to your point about the offensive line, I think I think Andy Reid's smart enough to just use the short passing game as the extension of the running game. So, uh, you got Especially any more you, you like? Tyreek Hill and Miko Hardman. What's that? Especially when you have Tyreek Hill and Miko Hardman. Oh, it's a pretty good extension of the running game. Exactly. Uh, what this is the last one I'll, I'll give. I, I don't want to bore people with all my all my prop bets, but I think the only person on the field that can win MVP besides Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes is Tyreek Hill. Because I think he's the one capable of doing what he did the last time they played Tampa, where he scored three touchdowns and had over 250 yards receiving. <laughs> I think if he does anything close to that, he's the MVP. But if, you know, if Kelsey has 100 yards and, and two touchdowns, I think it's still going to Mahomes if he throws for 350 and three touchdowns. So I, I think Tyreek will have to overwhelm with some monster game to get it. But he's plus 1,200 to win MVP. That's the only real non-quarterback that I like. 
Uh, yeah, I would be surprised if Tyreek – I don't actually have the number for his uh, receiving yards in front of me. I, I'd be surprised if he ended up under about 120, 130. I'd be really surprised if he ended up under that number. 92 and a half. Oh, my gosh, 92 and a half. That's it's a mi- joke. It's minus 124. Again, I, lo- I love the over there. Kelsey's – Kelsey's up numbers 94 and a half, uh, which is more than Tyreek's. But uh, I like the over on both those. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the, uh, Mike Evans is 63 and a half. I like the over there. <clears throat> Chris Godwin, 77 and a half. I, I just think, Colby, that both teams are going to have to pass in this game. Now, I think it behooves Tampa early to run the ball. I just think they're going to be down. And, you know, I think Tom Brady is going to hit his overs. I just think there's going to be a lot of yards. It's just the way football's played nowadays. So. That's how I, I see it playing out. Yeah, it's just, you know, if you hammer all of the player overs and then it ends up being, for some whatever weird reason, 20 to 17, then you're going to get hammered on all yeah. your player overs. So maybe That's take a true. handful of those and then bet the game. Yeah. All right. What's your pick on the game? I, I, I guess you're going to go for the middle here. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I, I, I'm going to go with the fact that I'm going to get unlucky. I'm going 35-31. I need the Chiefs to win, but I need them to win by one, two, or three. So I'm betting they win by four. I'm going Chiefs 35-31. Okay. I like that pick. That's a pretty – that's right near the over-under. What's the over-under in this game, like 65? Uh, I can I find it real quick. I can't remember. But uh, I'm, I'm sticking with my guns. I think – I think uh, – Oh, 55 and a half, by the way, is the point total. 55 Ooh. and a half. Now, there's supposed to be some rain, I guess. I think that might be driving the the over-under. And I think there is value on the the under in the Super Bowl because it's such a big game. I think teams usually start out conservatively. But I'm sticking with my guns. I'm going to go Kansas City, 42. Tampa, 28. I, I think Kansas City's defense is better than team people give it credit for. I think Tyron Matthews is going to pick off Brady at least once. That's another prop that I like. Um, so that's I think it's going to be a blowout, but uh, we'll see. I just I just don't see Tampa keeping up. I know their defense has played better. They have issues on the O line, but that's my pick. And uh, I hope everyone enjoys the game, Colby. I know you got to get out of here, so we appreciate you joining us as well. always. Look, as much as I want my prediction to be right, Colby, for you and the pod. I hope Kansas City wins by one, two, or three, so you can you can uh, enjoy all the spoils. Absolutely, you're the man. I appreciate that. By the way, I also I do think Oklahoma State beats Texas tomorrow. I think they bounce back and get a great win in Stillwater. Yep, I'm with you. That should be fun. Uh, we'll have to break that down next week. But uh, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy OSU Texas, and we'll uh, chat next week. You do the same. Go, folks. <laughs>